This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone. Well, this is it's a statement that's not on many people's lips today, is it? So how many friends do you have, or colleagues, acquaintances at work, that talk about the return of Christ to the earth? Well, the problem as I'm sure you, you, you all know, is, is that we live in a society today where a belief in God and a respect for the Bible has drastically declined and continues to do so, really. So it's no real surprise then that even amongst many who do have a faith in God and in his son Jesus Christ, there's no surprise really that even there are many who are uncertain amongst them who are uncertain, uncertain sorry, about Christ's second coming. There is a general lack of conviction, perhaps, in the promise of his literal return. And, and as a result of that, uh, a literal return of Christ to this earth tends to be dismissed by many people, in fact, by many leading church authorities. Instead, uh, some of them see the promise of his second coming as merely a symbolic type of return. So what we want to do then is just to spend a few moments now uh, looking at what the Bible tells us about the return of Christ and that we can be sure and certain that he will indeed literally return to this earth. So a good place, I think, for us to start here is of the record when Jesus actually left the earth. And of course, that's with the reading that uh, we've taken together through our president from Acts chapter 1 there. And of course, Jesus here ascended to heaven to be with uh, God his Father. So Acts chapter 1 then. And um, the setting of this uh, book of Acts is the relatively short period of time of 40 days following the resurrection of Jesus. That time when he uh, appeared to his uh, his disciples, those that that is that had been with him and followed him during those approximately three and a half years of his uh, uh, preaching and and, um, teaching. So chapter 1 then, and just looking again at verse 3. To whom also Jesus showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And uh, it's just very interesting to notice here that this is speaking of real literal events Uh, and so the whole purpose of Jesus showing himself alive to his followers here the purpose of all those infallible proofs as it says it was all to convince those disciples of Jesus that he had indeed been raised from the dead 
The resurrection of Christ, then, was a literal event, as the Bible uh, portrays it. And just as his resurrection from the dead is literal, well, so too the kingdom of God, which Jesus spoke about there, that will be real and literal also. Uh, let's just look again at verse 6. When they therefore were come together, the disciples, they asked of Jesus, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And just going to verse 9 as well. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And then they then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Olivet which is a, from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. So again, we, we see that this, this isn't being put, portrayed as a symbolic type of ascension to heaven, uh, or, or it wasn't a vision that the disciples uh, experienced. But it was real. It was as real as the Jesus who had showed himself alive to them during those 40 days. And they were in a, a specific place, a real place, um, a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem. That's about a mile from Jerusalem. It was the, the Mount Olivet. And the reason of, of those, sorry, and the reaction of those men is evidence to us of just how real these things were. Because it says how that they stood there gazing up into the sky uh, even after he disappeared from their view and I'm sure just as, as any of us would have done they, they must have just stood there utterly aghast to have seen a man ascend up into the sky and beyond their uh, vision so they stood there probably with their eyes fixed on that point of where they last saw him and their attention was only broken when two men spoke to them, to two angels. And, and we just notice the words of those angels there again, in verse 11, where they said, this same Jesus, which of course is raised up from the dead, which is, and is, which is taken up from you into heaven, he shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the disciples there are told very clearly that Christ will return in exactly the same way in which he went, in which he left. And because he was taken up literally, physically, into, into heaven there, then those disciples were really left in no doubt that he's going to return bodily and physically to the earth in the same way that he went. And that was how the apostles understood those words of those angels there. Because if we were to read through the, uh, the rest of the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, we'd find that that was their fundamental message. Uh, and so in verse 8, Jesus commanded them to be witnesses 
of him starting at Jerusalem there, in the city of Jerusalem. Then they were to go further afield to Judea and Samaria, and nations there in that, in that area. And then eventually they had to go to all parts of the world, uh, that is, to the Roman world, the Roman Empire, in which they lived. And, and, and that's what they did. Um, in fact, turning over to chapter 2 now, um, we have here the first time that the apostles uh, publicly, we could say, preached the gospel. And uh, they just received the power of the Holy Spirit. And by that power, they were able then to speak in many different languages. And, and that's what was needed at this point in time in Jerusalem, uh, because many uh, Jews from all over the, the then world were gathered there, and they, they all, all had their own different languages, you see. And so, as the apostles spoke in these different languages, that caused a great stir, so, so to speak, so that a, a large crowd gathered to about at least 3,000 people to see what was going on. And it was the Apostle, apostle Peter <clears throat> who declared in brief form the message of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Uh, so chapter 2 and verse 33, and these, were, these are the words of the Apostle Peter. He's speaking of Christ. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He hath shed forth this, <clears throat> which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. And we can sense the conviction of Peter there, standing in front of all these people, and and he said how that they, they the apostles, uh, were witnesses. <coughs> witnesses to how Jesus had been put to death and how that God had raised him to life again. He then declared exactly what he and all the apostles knew and believed. How that Christ had ascended to heaven and was now, at this very moment in time, in an exalted position sat at the right hand of the Almighty God. But notice that verse 35 there, <coughs> how Peter made it clear that Jesus will not remain in heaven forever. He said, until, until God will make all Christ's enemies his footstool. It's that little word, isn't it, that's important, until. So it's not permanent, the fact that Christ is in heaven. So the apostles believed and they preached that Jesus will return as they had been told by those angels. But we could ask, were the apostles under a grave misunderstanding here? Well, some people might say that they were. Some people might suggest that the apostles mistook, mistook the promise of Christ's return as literal when in fact it was symbolic. Well, if that is the case, <coughs> excuse me, that is, if, if it was symbolic, then the, the apostles themselves not only mis misunderstood, 
But what they went out into the world and preached for the rest of their lives was a grave error. And then the New Testament itself would be based on a false assumption because the apostles were the main authors of the New Testament. And so, and again, if that is the case, then God himself has then allowed that teaching of the apostles to remain as an error. And that would make the fundamental Christian hope a false hope. So surely we have to say then that the return of Christ won't be symbolic. It will be real. Just as real and just as sure as we are all here present in this room today. Now there's another very important aspect to the teaching of the apostles. An an example of it is further on in chapter 17 of, of Acts that is. (coughs) now this time it was the um, Apostle Paul many years later he'd arrived at the city of Athens uh, and the people of Athens had many gods now as verse 1 says uh, the people it was given sorry it was given over to idolatry so when Paul preached to them uh, about Jesus Christ and the resurrection uh, that's in verse 18 there They wanted to hear more from Paul about this. So they brought Paul to what was called Mars Hill, the Areopagus, obviously a public area in Athens. Um, And going in now at verse 22, And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So Paul there briefly declared that there is only one God who has made all things and that he's given life and breath to all living things. Now I want to read the next verse, verse 26. I'm going to read it from uh, a different uh, translation, the English Standard uh, Version. (coughs) excuse me verse 26 then and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place so uh, we notice again that God has purposed all these things from one man from Adam came all the nations of the world But that's not where it ends because God has appointed or allotted certain periods of time in which those nations exist. And he's also determined their boundaries, their borders. So the nations in in the past, say for instance in Paul's day there and the, the nations today, they all have their allotted 
periods of time in the purpose of God. But they will all have an end. And Paul went on to indicate why, why that is. Verse 30 says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. <coughs> so the majority of mankind was, at that time, and still is, is ignorant of the one true God. But God is willing to overlook that, and now he commands all men everywhere to repent, that is, to turn from their own ways to doing what is right and acceptable in his sight, in God's sight. Now, because God is going to judge the world by the man that is ordained or appointed, and Paul meant Jesus Christ there, well, there is a day then, a specific day, on the which God will judge the world and he's going to bring to an end those allotted times of the nations that he's allowed those nations to, to exist within. And, and what does this mean to us then? Well, we've just read, or read a bit earlier in, in chapter 1 of God's kingdom, haven't we? We've also said that Jesus will be the king of that kingdom. So as king, Jesus will have to be present again on the earth in order to reign over that kingdom. <coughs> and as judge of all the earth, he will of course have to be uh, present on the earth again to give and bring that judgment. Now Paul give, gave the evidence here of God's assurance to all men and he gave, he gave his certainty of how God will keep his promise. The assurance, as Paul said, is that God has raised Christ from the dead. So the New Testament has put forward its closely knit weight of evidence for Christ's return. Of how Christ will return to the earth because God has appointed him to rule over the uh, world in, in God's kingdom. And the surety of that kingdom and of Christ's return is that God has raised Christ from the dead. And we've also got the surety of Christ's resurrection witnessed to us by the apostles of Jesus. They who throughout the New Testament give their clear witness to having seen Christ alive after his uh, death, after his crucifixion. You see, Christ's resurrection changed those men, changed them from men who'd been utterly devastated at the crucifixion of Christ, changed them into men whose faith was now so unshakable that they were prepared to suffer for that, to suffer persecution and even to suffer death for proclaiming that resurrection of Christ. Indeed, some of them were put to death for doing that. And so we can now look at some more words of the Apostle Paul about Christ's return. So we turn on to 1 Thessalonians, the first book of Thessalonians, and chapter 5. 
where Paul, the Apostle Paul here, gave uh, more detail about the events surrounding Christ's return. So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5 and verse, verse 1. <clears throat> but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So we can actually see from the context uh, of, of this chapter and, from, and particularly from the previous chapter, chapter 4, that Paul was writing here about the return of Jesus to the earth. So he was giving strong advice actually uh, and warning to those disciples there in Thessalonica and of course to all followers of Christ. That warning is to, well always to be alert and waiting for Christ's return because there's not going to be a warning when it, when it happens see nobody knows when he will come back even Jesus himself said he doesn't know not even the angels in heaven only God himself so just like a thief Jesus will return suddenly unexpectedly and it's going to be too late to do anything about it when he does now Paul wrote there if you notice about times and seasons didn't he <clears throat> just as Jesus uh, did in Acts chapter 1 that we looked at. So again we see that there is a specific time for his return and clearly the world at that time is going to be unprepared for that. So instead they're going to be preoccupied with their lives and uh, with whatever's going on in the world at that time. So they will reach a point when they feel that there is peace and safety in the earth but sadly in reality it will be a false peace because sudden destruction will come upon them and in fact he speaks more about this in the second uh, book of Thessalonians and chapter 1 just a couple of pages further on and by the time that uh, the apostle wrote this second letter to them, it was clear that they were suffering some kind of persecution in Thessalonica for their beliefs, their belief in Christ. Um, that's in verse 4 of chapter 1 there. But let's look at verse 7. And he says, Unto you who are troubled, they were suffering persecution, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So the severity, we could say, of this coming judgment, we really can't overstate it, can we? So how crucial it is to believe that it's going to take place 
how crucial to believe in Christ's return because that man, Christ, will execute this judgment that it speaks of here on God's behalf when he's back in the earth. So what we've seen so far then is how that the apostles of Jesus Christ, how they spread the gospel message throughout uh, well, the Roman Empire and their preaching of that gospel was founded on the fundamental teaching that Jesus will return. We've also seen how that, that teaching was based firmly on the clear statement, not only of Christ, but no less of, than two of God's angels. But what about Jesus himself then? What else did Jesus say about this? Well, we'll turn to the Gospels for this, to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus here was uh, speaking about his return. And, it, and it's clear as we read this um, that there is going to be a, well, a considerable period of time when Christ is going to be absent from the earth. Uh, quite a, quite a, a period of time. So chapter 24 then of Matthew <coughs> and verse 37 <coughs> But as the days of Noah were so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, well, we can see that clearly Jesus believed in a literal flood as he spoke about it there that time when Noah and his family were the only ones who didn't perish in that flood now the rest of mankind at that time were ignorant of that impending judgment or if they were aware of it perhaps through Noah's preaching then they disbelieved it so they were going about their lives as they always had done it was too late to repent on the day when the waters began to flood the earth. And that's what Jesus compares the world to when he returns. So just as the world was, uh, sorry, just as the flood was a real event, so too will be his return when the world will again be judged by God at Christ's uh, hand. Now Jesus left us here in no doubt of the certainty of his return and when these things come, come upon the earth they basically will herald the nearness of the kingdom of God that is the things that he spoke about just previous that is so Christ's message is the same as the apostles it's a warning not to be caught unawares by his return and the same impl implication is present too in how the uh, return of Christ is inevitable. Um, if we look at Jesus' words here again in verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So yes, we can see how Jesus was very clear about his return 
to the earth. And what emanates out from his teaching generally, and of course from Bible teaching generally as a whole, is that there will be a lack of awareness in the world uh, and how that there will be a majority who will be unprepared, which means that they will not be judged worthy by Christ at his return. And in fact, it, it appears from uh, New Testament teaching that Christ's long absence from the earth is actually part of God's purpose. It's God's way of doing it. It's actually a way in which God is actually testing the faith of those who have committed to following Christ. And we say that, and uh, that there is actually a precedent for that in Exodus uh, in the Old Testament. So if we just turn back to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, because the Bible often has uh, incidents and, and events that are really that really just point forward to something else that's going to happen some time after, perhaps a long time afterwards. And these particular events uh, are quite often under God's control. Uh, how that he, he brings about subsequent events that echo back to these uh, previous times. And so here, this incident in Exodus chapter 32, this involved the people of Israel, God's people, and their, Mos and their leader Moses. And this was following God's uh, deliverance for, of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. He brought them out from Egypt. And at this point, they were in the wilderness, the wilderness of Sinai. And Moses had gone up into the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive God's laws, which he was going to, to deliver to Israel, of course. <clears throat> so chapter 32 and verse 1. And when the people, Israel, saw that Moses <coughs> excuse me, delayed to come down out of the mount... The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what we or we don't know what is become of him. And verse 6 And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. <coughs> and the people sat down to eat. And to drink and rose up to play. Now Moses was actually in that mountain for 40 days. 40 days, 40 nights. And so some way into that period of, of his absence. The people lost conviction that he was going to return to them. And what did they do then at that point? Well they did what they really wanted to do. Basically they threw off all those restrictions uh, of, of God, that God wanted them to have how they, he wanted them to behave and they turned to worshipping idols basically they turned to revelling and the baser kind of human behaviour so what we've got here as we say is a foreshadow of Christ's absence from the earth it's an example of how easily we can be led away from God as Israel were by our own nature and our own desires it's an example of a lack of faith on the part of Israel. And, and verses 9 and 10 here describe how God was going to destroy the nation <clears throat> just in, in one moment because of what they'd done. 
But Moses pleaded with God to let the people live. And, and God hearkened unto to Moses there. However, that there was still a judgment that God brought on the people. There was a recompense, we could say, uh, how when Moses finally came down from Sinai. And, and in fact, it was unexpected to the people. They didn't, they didn't know when he was coming back. And when he did that, uh, he destroyed the idols uh, and then uh, commanded the Levites, who had been uh, faithful, it seems, to, uh, to slay every man, his uh, brother, and so forth. So there was, a, there was about 3,000 people who died at that point. So, yes, we've got uh, another foreshadow then there of, of God's coming judgments when Christ will return. And only those who are faithfully watching and waiting for him will be, of course, expecting him. And he will then pass righteous judgment in the earth. But there's a fact of history which is evidence of Christ's return. <clears throat> and in fact, it's something which is present today. And it's proof for us that Jesus will return. It's the existence of God's people, Israel, even today. We'll turn now then to Jeremiah chapter 30, one of God's prophets. We've got here one of the remarkable prophecies about God's people Israel. Now the history of, of Israel, uh, they're often known as the Jews today, aren't they? <clears throat> it's compelling evidence of God's hand at work throughout, well, millennia, millennia of history. Because as God's people, they, of course, they had to be godly and, and they had to glorify God in how that they lived their lives. However, over many centuries, the majority of Israel did not live up to that. They weren't worthy in God's sight. So eventually, God delivered Israel into the hand of powerful nations and they were expelled from that land that he'd given them. But he had not forsaken them. He hasn't destroyed them. He's not allowed them to die out as a people. In fact, that's what would have happened, would have happened if, if, if God hadn't um, preserved them. <clears throat> no nation of people can survive uh, 2,000 years without a homeland. So their survival is evidence of the hand of God at work in the earth. And yet what has happened in basically virtually the last 70 years or so is even more evidence to us. As So this chapter says, chapter 30 of Jeremiah and verse 3. For, for lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. <coughs> And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now, know, if we were to know the, the history of Israel, of the Jews, well, then we'd know just how astounding those words are. Because, for, as we say, for 2,000 years, such a suggestion like that would have been laughable. That there was simply no indication that the Jews would ever return to the land of Israel, the actual land that they had possessed, and then possess it and govern it in their own, uh, as under their own uh, 
rulership, so to speak, as an independent nation in their own right. Yet they have. So they've not only survived, scattered amongst all the nations as a distinct people, but in 1948 they returned, as we say, to the very same land that they were exiled from. And now the Israeli nation is a real and literal nation in the Middle East. So that's evidence to us. In a way, that's shouting out to us that God has fulfilled his promise with Israel after all this time. It's also loud and clear to us that God is going to fulfill his promise to send Jesus back to the earth to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so God has re-established his people Israel in that land to actually prepare them for Christ to return as their king. Let's look at verse 9. <coughs> but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Now, when it says David their king, we know that Jesus is descended from the line of King David. And we know that Jesus is going to sit on the throne of his father David, just as the angel Gabriel told Mary, the mother of Jesus, before he was even conceived. So we can expect then that Israel are going to turn back to God and to serve him. Verse 11, God says, for I, to Israel he says, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. But I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So despite Israel's failure in the past, and in fact even today, well, despite that, God has never forsaken them, and throughout all their history have been scattered throughout the earth. It was always his purpose, as we see from the scriptures, to save them. In fact, what, what Israel have suffered over all those thousands of years was actually God's way of punishing them, but also the way of bringing them back to him in the end. Uh, verse 22. And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And verse 24. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it, and until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days... Ye, Israel, shall consider it. That little word again, until. It's when God has completed these things that he's, he's set and purposed. So here it's until God has performed the intentions of his heart. Again then we see that there is a particular time, an appointed time, <clears throat> for all these things to come about. Notice in the latter days it says, God God says he, Israel will then look back. They'll, they'll be able to look back and consider all that has happened to them over all that time. And then they're going to realise how that all along it has been God's will and purpose with them. And they're going to understand it then. So God's purpose with Israel is very much a part of the gospel message, you see. 
And this can be seen from our final reference now in the book of Romans in the New Testament. So, again, it's the Apostle Paul, book of Romans, chapter 11. And here the Apostle Paul wrote about Israel. He spoke of them being his own countrymen, because, of course, he was, he was uh, Jewish. And here he uh, prophesied concerning the salvation of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Christ. So chapter 11 and verse 25. He says, For I would not, brethren, of course he's speaking to uh, Christian believers in, in Rome at that time, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So what Paul meant there is that how that the Jews at that time, and they still do, they reject Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah, as their king. And so during the time of the apostles there in the first century, uh, the Jews were, most of them were hostile to uh, Christians and often they did persecute them. Nevertheless, the apostles there, uh, Paul there taught that disciples must not resist that opposition <clears throat> but instead look forward to the time when the eyes of the Jews will be opened and they will finally realise that Jesus is their Messiah yet as even at this moment in time they are blind to that knowledge but there will be a time when they will finally see when the fullness of the, the Gentiles become in until you see until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So again, we see there here that there are set times in God's purpose, allotted periods, which, are, which will reach their end. And it's then that the kingdom of God will be established. Uh, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. <clears throat> As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, the nation of Israel, who of course are descended from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they will turn away from their ungodliness, and they're going to do that by accepting Jesus Christ as their saviour, as their messiah. Uh, so these, again as we say, they, these are going to become real events. And so Israel today, in their land, there now, in Israel, well that heralds the return of Christ. It, it's a sounding to us. It, it tells us that his return is a certainty. <clears throat> it cannot be far away. So our message then is to heed the call of the gospel and to take on the name of Jesus Christ in baptism and to be ready and waiting for the day of his appearing. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm -hmm.